this path that we explore together has this aim, at least this is the narrative of early Buddhism, and that aim is awakening. And, and I always like to come back to the, the simple definition of what awakening is, and this is what I love about early Buddhism, is it gives kind of this clear definition of it, which is it's, it's this quality of heart and mind, which is basically a quality of heart and mind in which greed, hatred, and delusion no longer arise. Or in other words, it's this um, quality of a mind. It's, it's a kind of mind that doesn't get reactive in, a, in an unskillful way. So that kind of blind reactivity um, disappears or attenuates, depending upon you know, how we see what's possible for these human minds. And tonight I want to focus on a particular flavor, which is um, anger, which would come under uh, really the flavor of uh, hatred. So uh, hatred, the, the Pali word is dosa. And so a lot of times underneath that rubric of reactivity is that these kind of these qualities of hatred or anger or um, rage, which you can hear, it's a certain flavor of reactivity that, that can be in our lives. And what uh, I notice again and again and again when I read kind of these, these discourses of early Buddhism is again and again what's talked about is this destructive nature of, of anger. And I, you know, in some ways I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I think all of us know we, we can see that. We see this, how anger plays out in our communities, in our societies, and in this world and how a mind filled with, with anger can lead so easily to violence and to harm. And I think there's innumerable examples of that. And not only that, maybe like me, you know the kind of role it's played in your own life. Like I can think at times when I did the stupid thing of really um, acting out of anger. Have you ever done that? Mm. And the kind of hurt and harm. And, and when, I, when I reflect on my life, those are probably the, the, the moments of my life that I regret the most. Because... Um, even if there was things that were really fueling it that felt justified, because I hurt people in ways I didn't want to. And it can leave such a lingering effect, not only in the people I'm interacting with, but in myself in terms of that. And I'm sure many of you have also experienced the other side of that, of the receiving end of anger. You know, what that feels like when, when you have to receive someone's anger. And then internally, and, and maybe you've noticed this, I don't know if you've ever had a sitting meditation or, or where you've had that day where you're filled with so much anger. And the kind of, even if you don't act out of it, just to have to navigate a day when, when there's some kind of obsessive anger going on and the turmoil it creates in our lives. So the kind of the internal suffering, even when it's not um, expressed. And I, I want to point out it's, to me, a tricky arena, because maybe you notice it's amazing just to reflect on so many things can, can bring anger into our lives that, that can trigger anger, whether it be something that happens at work or at home or with a partner or with a child. You know, and then this is not even talking about listening to the news. <laughs> you get involved in news and media and wow, it's like a heyday of anger, <laughs> at least for me. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could just be one minute, I see a headline, and I can feel rage. 
And it's powerful. That's the thing I notice about it, is how powerful this energy is. So here's this destructive quality of this, this, um, this quality of mind, anger. But I want to I complicate it because, it because there's also these other aspects of anger, like I, what I'd call the energy of anger, which I found really important in my life. Because for me, what I notice is it's that same energy that allows me to make clear boundaries in life, that actually allows me to be clear in difficult situations. I think it can fuel a kind of skillful, fierce compassion, you know, that I think is needed to address sometimes systems of harm, like racism or sexism, or a harmful situation that might be in front of us. That energy is, is needed in some way. It arises sometimes for very good reason. And that's the main question I want to leave with you this evening. If you get one thing out of, out of this talk, is just the question of, where is that line of the skillful use of that energy? And where does it cross over into a reactivity that's just harmful? Where is that? And of course, I could probably talk on and on about it, but that doesn't matter what I say. I have to figure that out inside where that line is. And I think that's the power of meditation as I start to feel, what does irritation feel like? What does anger feel like? When does it feel like it's filled with wisdom and it's a fierce compassion? How do those feel different? And how do I begin to discern those two flavors so that I can have clear boundaries, but to really restrain myself when it's just anger that is diluted? Where is that line for you? And I want to be completely honest. It's like, I'm still trying to figure that one out. It's tricky at times. Sometimes I do feel clear about it, and other times I'm, I, 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 I'm unclear about it, especially the more intense situations. But I, I see it as a, an aspiration and I can see the refinement that comes from this practice of, of clarifying that question. I also want to note a shadow side of this teaching that you find in Buddhism. I think it's always important to, to know these shadow sides because sometimes what can arise in Buddhist communities is this sense that I shouldn't be angry, or they shouldn't be angry, or angry is, anger is something that we need to get rid of, and it's, it's something that shouldn't be happening. And that kind of narrative can fit all too easily into other narratives that we find around our society about, about not being angry, or that one shouldn't be angry. And we hear, you know, th there are some common... Uh, you know, criticisms found in society that are really um, unfortunate that can kind of, maybe not from a Buddhist community, but kind of we see swimming in society. For example, um, and, and I, actually this is informed by a, a really a brilliant writer by the name of Sarah Ahmed. She, she kind of critiques this, kind of this trope that you find around um, what she says around feminists. Like there, there can be this classic thing of, of uh, uh, women that are feminists are just angry women or the black, black angry woman, where there's this kind of this confinement, this stereotype that happens around this value maybe of feminism or anger about uh, social injustice. And here's this, this narrowing. And, and uh, what she points out is that, the, that yeah, such women aren't merely angry. It's a, it's 
of seeing clearly, that it arises out of seeing clearly certain dynamics that are happening in society that give rise to sometimes inappropriate anger. So what she's critiquing in some of her work, which I think is really interesting, is critiquing notions of happiness. Because uh, she points out in, that in so much in, in like Hollywood movies or in popular narratives of happiness is that there's an exclusion. There's an exclusion often around um, different sexual orientations. So a lot of times happiness is, uh, has a heteronormative quality to it, that it's always couched in heterosexual um, relationships. But that's a happier relationship. You know, other relationships, we don't see that reflected in, in some kind of way. And then she goes on and on to show how this, or, or another critique is, is the image of the 1950s happy housewife. And what she points out is, is <coughs> what's seething underneath that are, are so many dynamics of oppression and unhappiness. And so sometimes it's the people on the margins that are expressing the kind of rage that, that needs to be seen to see these hidden dynamics. So hopefully you hear that, that also what's important is that, that not to use this, uh, this teaching to critique who should or shouldn't be angry or somehow I understand it. I think what I, I realize from this practice is my job is, is not to tell how other people feel, but rather to listen deeply, to understand maybe why there's anger. You know? you know, if there's anger, whether it be the anger that comes from an undocumented immigrant or a Muslim because of national policies, or the anger that comes from um, a working class white man in terms of his perception about how things are going, what would it be like to actually listen to those different flavors of anger, rather than to merely judge. And I want to point out, it's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of times when I hear the, the narrative of anger, especially if it's, if it's a, a view, or especially a political view that I don't like, I have such an easy time of dismissing it as merely an, another angry person. But then I'm, I'm just doing what, what so much of society has done to the angry feminist, haven't I? I've concluded that they're simply angry, but I haven't taken the step to understand it, to, to step inside of it. And it reflects, I think, the encouragement of the next step, which I think is so important for anger, is beginning to learn how to listen to my own anger. Not getting lost in, should I be angry or shouldn't I be angry? But more the first step of, wow, what's this like? What's this experience like right now? kind of become curious about it. Do you hear how these are two radically different frames and maybe your mind is like mine where we can get so lost in the should or shouldn't that we don't become curious about that particular dynamic. And it's the curiosity of that dynamic, whether it be external with other people or internal, that I think allows a shift for a different way of relating to this really powerful energy. And I think all this begs the question of how do we skillfully navigate this powerful energy that comes with being a human being? And at the same time to take in all these dimensions that I'm at least trying to, to uh, convey about it, the complexity of this. 
And to come back to what I'm pointing out, the, the key thing of can I begin to listen just in terms of my own experience and to be re- in relationship with anger, with anger. And what I've realized about that is, is what I'm uh, beginning to do is I'm beginning to cultivate the capacity to be with it. Not necessarily to get rid of it, but to be with it in a way that I don't act out of it unskillfully. How do I do this? A lot of it for me is, how does it feel in your body when there's irritation? Or annoyance? What does anger feel like? What does the body do? I find it really helpful to be more curious about that than the thoughts. Because what I notice is the thoughts can really just spin me out, and I'm not really in contact with that emotion anymore. Oh, interesting. There's the tightness in my body. Oh, there's the stirring in my gut. Oh, and it feels like this. And hopefully you're hearing that. That's the, that's the practice of mindfulness. Oh, now, now I'm mindful of anger. And just to name it, like I've said, you know, there's, there was this time where I, I remember kept on feeling this feeling, and I would just kind of notice it and come back to the breath. And then eventually it was like, oh, interesting, that's anger. And it was so helpful to name it. Because there's a conglomeration of kind of these sensations and this amorphous emotion that I wasn't able to name. And being able to name it helped clarify it. And what it gives me a lot of times is that I find the more I make the habit, the repetition of feeling what anger feels like, is that then when I'm in a situation where the stakes are higher, where it's happening when I'm in front of someone else, and, you know, do you know that feeling? You know, <laughs> that energy starts to move. They're saying things you don't like, and you want to set the record straight. <laughs> and if I can catch that feeling right at the beginning, it gives me more of a choice about what I'm going to do. And it's, uh, and it's also, I think, can be quite individual maybe gendered in terms of gender being uh, uh, how sometimes we're socially conditioned of a relationship around anger. For example, often, and again, I don't, you know, generalizations always, people step out of these, don't always fit into these, but, you know, often the, the conditioning of men, which I know is that it's more appropriate, right, to be angry than to express fear or sadness. So often then, and, and if you just look at the, you know, media and things like that, how, how it's so, uh, men, especially white men, can get away with being angry again and again and again. It just becomes the, the way things are. And then the conditioning sometimes for women around this, or, or, or folks who identify as women, is that sadness can be something that is acceptable, but anger is not. And then there can be a certain conditioning around that. And then the social conditioning, like the social conditioning that I just mentioned around feminism. Or if you look at a lot of times the critiques that happen in the media of when um, someone who is more uh, famous, a woman gets angry and the kind of critiques that can happen is really amazing. The derogatory comments that can just flurry around that to reinforce what's acceptable and not acceptable in this kind of very narrow, binary, gendered way.
And and then what I notice is when I begin to sense in, not only to the to, as I sense into the feeling in the body and the emotion, sometimes it feels like it has an underbelly to it, this anger. As James Baldwin says, he says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their anger so stubbornly is because they sense once anger is gone, they will be, they will be forced to deal with the pain. Have you noticed that? I know I've noticed it. I get angry and then I notice what's underneath it. Is there some hurt there or some fear there? And I actually need to slow down to contact that, to be brave enough to contact that. And just to notice it and to be with it, because that's where the power of this practice is, is, is this being with, this being mindful of. And then one other dimension of this being with anger, which I think is really important, and this comes more from, you know, this trauma work I used to do much more of, in which what I started to realize for myself and also working with people was the importance of feeling anger in the body in a very particular way, which is to notice, and I'm talking more the bodily experience of this rather than the thought of it, is to notice in some ways a way of claiming that energy because as I was saying, there is an aspect of that energy that's really empowering in a really important way. It can really, really bring the body alive in a really wonderful way to, to give a sense of empowerment rather than hopelessness or disempowerment. A sense of clear boundariedness. That's really important energy to allow to course through the body. But it's going to require this capacity to be with that intense energy so that the body learns how to, to ride those waves in a way. So hopefully you're hearing, really the process isn't about getting rid of anger. It's more of this alchemical process where that something that can feel so unskillful really gets transformed into an energy that's just empowering. Mohandas Gandhi put it well. He said, I have learned through bitter experience the one lesson to conserve my anger and as heat conserved is transmuted into energy. Even so, anger controlled can be transmuted into a power which can move the world. So this transformation of that energy into something skillful, into something wholesome, rather than something that's harmful. So this is the way to begin to be with anger, to start to cultivate a capacity so that as the, it goes through that alchemical process of releasing that energy into our lives in a in a potent way. Mm-hmm. 
and also to come back to this one question that I wanted to leave you with is where is the line? Again, where is the line of where is that potent energy is that is empowering as opposed to this being a destructive force that we see so much harm come from? How can you discern that line in yourself? It can be tricky and I think some things to keep in mind about this, and I want to um, share an example of this that happened to me quite a number of years ago. So a few years ago, yeah, yeah, a number of years ago, my wife and I were we were basically confronted with a situation in which there there was this really this abuse of a minor that was going on, and. Um, it was something that we felt like we should really respond to in some kind of way. And for me, it was like the perfect situation to be pissed off about. You know, here is, here is someone, here is a, a teenage child who's being taken advantage of in an abusive way by someone who I felt like should know better. And when I hear these stories, what am I filled with? I'm filled with outrage. And so that was fueling a lot of times my thought process around what to do about the situation. And I am so grateful for my wife. Because <laughs> that was really clear what I wanted to do. And she was really clear, Brian, you need to back off. <laughs> Can you just hold it? And it was really important to have a wise friend because what I could see, which I think is so interesting about anger, is that it is so seductive. Like, I felt like I was thinking clearly. It was so mesmerizing. Like, I was really quite certain that this was the appropriate way that I should be using my outrage. It really felt that way. But it wasn't. I was actually missing some pieces, and I was actually being seduced by this energy. And it was really great to have someone be like, you know, I'm, I'm not down with the way you want to you know, deal with the situation. we got to deal with it differently. Um, so I, I do want to also emphasize, I think this is the importance of community and wise friends so that we share our struggles with each other, but also being able to give each other some, some feedback about maybe what's skillful and not unskillful. Because I know for me, sometimes I'm not going to be able to catch it always because of how seductive some of these unskillful mind states are. And then I think once there was that in place where I could you know, actually listen to my wife, which sometimes takes a while. <laughs> and to, to really sense into it. And I noticed what the missing piece was, was that um, I, was, I was leaving the perpetrator out. And this is really difficult, because I, I do want to point out that there are some situations where it might be the case where the perpetrator gets left out. So I don't want to, again, give this story as somehow prescriptive about this is how we deal with situations. By all means, no. But in this situation, it was really essential in terms of that. And then there could be a moving forward where still there was really serious legal action that we were taking and ramifications that were, were in place in terms of if certain actions didn't happen, um, really to, to make some really clear boundaries and to really put out a very clear message, both to the, the minor that they were being taken care of, but also to the perpetrator 
that this needed to stop. And that felt so much clearer, and I could really tell the difference in the flavor of the energy of, of there still, still was a, a strength and empowerment to it, but I wasn't trying to destroy somebody. And that was the big shift. It was more about addressing um, um, actions that had taken place rather than destroying someone. And I think that's the thing I always want to point out. Am I trying to destroy somebody or to address a situation? And they're so radically different in terms of that. And, and, and it can feel like I'm doing the right thing when I'm destroying somebody because of the seduction. But in the end, I think it's uh, a, a dangerous course to take. Maybe that's, that's enough for this evening. And uh, when we sit this evening, <coughs> I invite you to keep it simple, which is what we want to begin with when we're being present is if we can name what kind of states of mind are arising. So when you sit here, you're feeling the breath, but then checking in. Oh, the state of mind of calmness is here. Interesting. Oh, there's, there's a, a kind of a quality of mind of feeling settled. Oh, that's here right now. So positive qualities. Oh, there's a little bit of anxiousness. Oh, there's sleepiness here right now. So I'm, I'm starting to train the mind to notice the landscape. Oh, there's irritation. Oh, interesting. That feels like fear. That's what's going to train the mind to really be sensitive to this whole world of emotion in a way that can really lead, I think, to much more skill in this world. So let's uh, maybe let's just take a minute or two to stand up and move around and then um, we'll begin to sit together.